0: This is episode 105B of the Andrew Hines Real Estate Investing Podcast. So this is a special bonus episode. Today I'm talking about the Canadian real estate market and the economic outlook for the coming year. This was a event that I spoke at just this past week on RIA uh, based out of London, Ontario. So thanks to Sean and Jen for inviting me on to speak about this. There is about a 15 minute talk followed by a question and answer period, which I thought would be super valuable for many who had thoughts and questions about this for me. So I just thought I'd create a bonus episode out of this a couple of quick corrections i was speaking about the price of gold during this episode and i mentioned that it was 200 us per ounce that's incorrect it's 2000 us my apologies i did i did misspeak during the episode and then also i mentioned the typical canadian gdp in 2019 it was closer to 1.75 trillion for the total gdp for the country so without further ado here is episode 105b i hope you enjoy it jen thanks for the introduction just a, a little bit about kind of what this presentation is I'm not here to give advice. This, uh, that's not really what this is about. This is more about getting everyone thinking because there's a lot going on. I think the number one question people have is, you know, where should I invest? Sarah Larby started a podcast with that title. I think that that's a, you know, a common question people have. Um, and then beyond that, you know, you want to know what, what should I be looking for? What, what makes a good market? What doesn't? Those aren't easy answers. But my hope is that if, if we can start asking the right questions, we'll, we'll get there and, and we'll, we'll make better decisions because of it. So what, what I'm going to cover tonight is what I see happening. A big thing from an economic standpoint is just the money printing. Our government's been spending like crazy. So we're going to dig into that, what we know and what we don't know, and uh, what we can do about it, how I've changed my approach. And uh, I'll share a couple of resources and then we'll just open it up for Q&A. So I'll try and make this pretty quick. And then that, that way, I can leave time for, for lots of questions at the end. So, economic outlook: we're down five percent. That's the early estimates from 2020, and this is this means that all goods and services sold in in Canada last year actually contracted, despite the fact that our government spent half of our uh, our typical GDP just with government spending and giving money to the people. So, um, what that tells me is that you know a lot of people actually didn't have that hard of a year. Yes, small businesses was were absolutely devastated, but a lot of other people were largely unaffected save for the service industry. So I think a lot of people are saving and that's one of the big takeaways I take from that. I also noticed that a lot of money seems to be landing in real estate now. There's a number of reasons why why real estate was up so much this year but across uh across Canada as of November and I didn't check the December stat but as of November it was up uh 17% year over year across Canada. So um that's absolutely insane. I think that's without precedent and largely driven by low interest rates, but I think there's more to it than that. We we've we've been seeing a housing crisis in the uh in the making for several years now. And uh yeah, we can touch more on that and how we can, you know, adjust our strategy, knowing that that's here. Cause I don't love that type of situation. I don't like a crazy market. I like a stable market that grows steadily. The current situation isn't my favorite. So anyway, so let's dig into a couple of things that we know here, the GDP. So if you might've heard this and, and I'm going to keep this really simple guys, like the thing I love about economics is it's uh, it's something that when broken down properly is common sense. I'm going to try my best to break it down. If I, uh, you know, if I stumble here, we'll uh, we'll certainly dig back into it. You'll have a chance to ask questions. But um, so GDP, gross domestic product, that that's something you might have heard thrown around. That's just every good and service sold in an economy in a year. So Canada's GDP is typically around one trillion dollars. As of 2020, we had less goods and services. A lot of restaurants weren't operating. Um, I think we can all agree that that makes a lot of sense, that we would have had less goods and services because a lot of people just weren't allowed to sell. But we had more money in circulation. This is that government deficit. So estimates are around 450 to $500 billion was our government's deficit. That's not normal. The year before, we had a $17 billion deficit. So there is an absolutely no precedent for the amount of money that's been spent and uh, and given to the Canadian people and also spent in, inside of government, that money's going to go somewhere. And And the big thing to take away from this is more dollars chasing less goods means what? If you think supply and demand, if there's more dollars chasing the same or less amount of goods, we're naturally going to see the difference between those two be a price increase. So, this is where I want to lead with, with this presentation is, is one of my main fears with the shutdown and what happened back in March. And we're almost at a, at a year now is when we start pumping money that doesn't belong into the economy like this, it's naturally going to push prices up through inflation. And we're going to want to be able to react to that. So a couple of critical takeaways here is our dollar is a fiat currency, which means it's not backed by a commodity. Dollars used to be backed by gold and silver in the, in, a, in the US and in Canada. As of 1970, the US took their dollar off the gold standard completely. That was when hyperinflation, well, not hyperinflation, but they had severe inflation in the 1970s in the US. Um, as soon as you unpeg to a commodity, now now this is just paper, it's it's not actually backed by anything. And the reason we value it is because the government tells us to value it. So what I really want you to take away from this section is that inflation is actually a tax on your buying power, because you don't really necessarily see it. But when you have inflation happening, it's just going to mean that now instead of buying a bar of soap in the grocery store for $2, maybe now it's $2.30 next year. And if all of your goods take that kind of a, an increase, but you don't get that same increase in your, your living wage through your job, now we're going to have a problem and we're going to start to see more uh, Canadians in the lower and middle class uh, start to struggle more. And uh, this is one of the big reasons why I never really understood our government's approach here, because it's, it's almost like they ignored that this would happen when they take this, uh, the measures that they have, they ignored that this was going to happen. And it's largely going to hurt the people that don't understand what's happening to their buying power. So the long term uh, effects of this spending. Well, one thing that, that particularly concerns me is we start with 500 billion dollars, but what happens with our banking system is is uh, say I had a bank, you know, the Bank of Andrew. I could I could take a one hundred dollar deposit if Corey wanted to to lend me a hundred dollars, and I could actually without telling Corey I could take that hundred dollars and I could lend out ninety of it for interest and earn income off of that. So what happens is that money is going to circulate in the economy and then it's going to come back to me. Uh, you know, somebody spends, somebody else spends, uh, and eventually the money gets deposited back into the bank. Now I have ninety dollars back. Well, now I can take that money and I can lend out ninety percent of that, so I can lend out eighty one dollars and so on. Um, so w- this is called fractional reserve lending. And typically the, the reserve rate is 10%. So you can lend out 90% of all your deposits as a bank in Canada. Well, that creates, that means that a hundred dollars is ultimately going to turn into a thousand dollars in the economy over time. Uh, and again, now we have more and more dollars that don't belong in our economy that are chasing the same or less amount of goods. And that is just a simple recipe for inflation question is is really going to come down to how much a couple of things that i think are are going to happen i mean I, I think that we're going to see in interest rates stay low, uh, at least for the time being. And this majorly is because our government keeps defending their spending because interest rates are low. Well, it's okay. We can afford it. Interest rates are low. Well, that all works as long as they stay low. But if they were to change, I mean, of course, we don't have a crystal ball. We don't know anything for sure. But if they were to change, that would put a massive burden on both our government and on uh, the citizens that have been put more into debt this year, especially our, our small business owners. But one of the problems with this is interest rates are typically used to control our inflation. So when inflation gets too high, the government will typically increase interest rates and that'll bring the inflation rate back down and they keep it in a nice uh, nice balance. They typically shoot for it to be between 1% and 3%. Well, once you agree that you're going to leave inflation where it is, now how do you control, sorry, interest rates, now how do you control inflation? That's going to become a challenge. So our normal levers, things that that the government can do. So they have these levers they can kind of pull on to control inflation. So the big one is interest rates. Uh, another one is is regulation. They can they can try and slow the economy down by overregulating, or they can throw a whole bunch of extra taxes on certain industries to try and slow our economy down. I think a lot of us are expecting tax hikes after after what's happened, but that's uh, that's not the ideal way of of controlling our our inflation issue. So a couple of things that I think are possible. I think that uh, a prolonged Recession is possible, and this is not to be doom and gloom. This is simply to get you thinking, and then we can start thinking about solutions. How we can hedge? How we can position ourselves uh, best so that we can uh, we can put ourselves in a favorable favorable position going forward. Um, so, something called stagflation is possible, and that's basically just when uh, when you you basically have a whole bunch of inflation, but your economy is actually con- contracting. And I would argue that that's something that we've already seen, and we're probably going to continue to see. That's not a good thing. And ultimately, that could lead to a complete loss in faith in our dollar, right? Because how do you stimulate an economy that's not growing? Typically, the government would lower interest rates to stimulate the economy. But if we already have rampant inflation and near zero interest rates, what do we do now to stimulate our economy? So these are just some things to to be aware of. And if any of that was over your head, again, we have Q&A and this is being recorded. So you'll be able to come back and, and watch this again and give it another listen. Okay. So what we don't know, uh, like I said, we don't know how much inflation. We don't know how severe it's going to be when, when it's really going to take off. Um, I mean, I think even if you went to the grocery store and you noticed this year, things got a little bit more expensive than last year. I'm always paying attention. I, I, I pay attention to when that bar of soap goes up and, you know, what we're paying for a case of water. Um, and I have seen changes in these products. And I think that a lot of you listening will probably relate to that too. And you can let me know in the chat if you've, if you've noticed that as well. So we we won't know exactly what's gonna happen to our assets either. And I I wanna point out here that if we own a home that's a real asset. The government can't inflate away the value of our asset. And in fact, what's more likely to happen is our assets actually probably likely to go up in value because our our dollar is becoming worth less. So it's going to take more and more of those dollars to buy the same asset. Um, And I think that that can explain some of the increase in uh, in our real estate that we're seeing. Now regarding things like gold and silver, those are other real assets because they're they're commodity based. They're typically not going to lose their value. Again, the dollar used to be backed by back by gold. So gold and silver are typically known to to hold their value. So in theory, we should actually see things like gold and silver go up a lot once inflation takes off. However, the market can manipulate the prices of gold and silver. So there's no guarantee there either. I do like those assets. I'll talk a little bit more about them. But there's no perfect solution, and I do just want to stress that. So we don't know what is going to happen in actuality. Is there going to come a point where real estate is just too expensive? So yes, the dollar's losing its buying power, but if people can't afford to buy, then values are going to plateau. So we have to consider this. It's not about me, you know being the rain man and just you know telling you exactly what's going to happen it's 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 about understanding the factors that contribute here and trying to make your best most educated decision possible with the information that you have okay so the perfect strategy like i said not there doesn't exist we don't know it we we simply have to to make our most educated course of action so what we can do I would strongly encourage you to think about that, which will always be needed. And I've spent a lot of time mulling this over in my own brain, um, you know, thinking about what is it that's always going to be needed. And, you know, a couple of things that come to mind right away are basic housing, food, and fresh water. And from there, we simply need to make some implications. Well, basic housing... I, I always call out Kellen. So Kellen, if you're here and calling you out again, Kellen uh, James Benicia, he's he's uh, been on my podcast a couple of times. You can look him up. He bought a whole bunch of housing that was in the most affordable price range in London. And he's seen a lot of his real estate portfolio over the last five years double in value. So buying stuff, you know, under 200 grand, that, that is the most affordable, most basic form of housing in a lot of cases. And that's the that's the one that's always going to be needed. So when things get tough and it's it's hard to afford housing, that in my mind, is the most likely to go up in value first, and I, I especially think that in a time of if we have an economic recession, uh, one thing we know is people are always going to need a place to live. So, I mean, I love being in real estate. I think you know that's why I invested in it from the beginning. Uh, so, so now I'm actually looking at more into getting into the basic housing. I think that that's a huge, a huge pro for going forward. Food, well knowing that food 's absolutely important, maybe buying farmland wouldn 't be a bad idea. Land that can produce crops, buying extra acreage. We never know what the future might bring, um, especially if people lose faith in currencies. maybe we want to grow some of our own food if it 's getting too expensive to buy food from the grocery store again, this is just hedging against potential downsides in the future. fresh water, maybe we want to we want to have a house on a lake or you know um, a house with uh, really good wells or natural streams, things like that thinking about things that will will store value and have value in the long run. Think about who might be least affected. So I'm also, you know, on the other side of that coin is looking at markets where people people aren't being affected as much, so this particular lockdown, what's happened uh, in the last year, has mostly affected the service industry and mostly affected business owners. But people who were in white collar jobs and people who are extremely wealthy with a lot of assets really didn't feel the pinch like others. Real estate investors as well. So maybe looking into markets that that have a lot of people in that market that really largely weren't affected. I'm down in Naples, Florida, right now. I would consider that one of those markets. I think that that might serve as a hedge. Again, we don't know anything for sure, but uh, it's certainly something to consider that if there was a, a downturn to affect the rest of the country, it may less so affect this particular market. Okay. So I would say uh, very, very important going forward to balance your cash needs and your hard asset needs. And what I mean by this is if you've ever heard the, the Ray Dalio quote that cash is trash, um, there's a reason for that. Again, cash is fiat. Cash isn't backed by anything and it is going to lose its value over time. Whereas like an ounce of gold. So I, I've heard this story thrown around so many times, like back in, in uh, like the 1930s, an ounce of gold could buy you a, a nice suit and a, and a steak dinner. And still today, an ounce of gold can buy you a nice suit and a steak dinner. Whereas, you know, back in in the 1930s, an ounce of gold was worth about uh, about $30. And uh, and now an ounce of gold is worth closer to uh, $200 US. So, um, you know, while currency lost its value, uh, the gold didn't. And that's not to say it can't be fluctuated, and and it can't be manipulated. But that's a hard asset, just like real estate that that theoretically should preserve value. So we want to balance how much cash we need to have to run our business with having an appropriate amount of cash to also sorry, appropriate amount of hard assets as well uh, to protect our, our wealth. And that's really what, uh, what those decisions are about. Uh, so any sort of commodity really could be a store of value, grains, silos. I mean, I don't know anything about farming, but I, I know that commodities uh, theoretically should, as long as they're not going to expire, hold their value. Of course, those things do. Uh, so you can look into other precious metals. And of course, like we said, uh, real estate, and I'm sure other people have other ideas in here. One question to ask yourself is what is my staying power? And I mean, what is your ability to weather the storm? So if if things get rough, say rents drop, uh, a lot of people lose their jobs. Is my property able to take a rent drop? You know, can I still cash flow if I have to lower rent by a couple hundred dollars? What if I'm in premium rentals? what if the market for premium rentals dries up? Am I able to take that deduction? Or, you know, for me, I'm in a lot of student rentals. So if, uh, you know, say for instance, school doesn't come back by September, you know, am I able to pivot and serve families as well? You know, what portion of my portfolio does this represent? Uh, that's really, those those questions are really going to help me to understand what it is. What is my staying power? If, am I going to be able to adjust? Am I going to be able to still service my debt uh, and not have to to just, uh, you know, go ahead and sell off cash? assets at potentially a loss when you might be able to ride it through and eventually down the road um, experience inflation in a good way, in which case, you know, your loan stays the same and your value of your asset just goes through the roof. Um, That could actually work out really nicely for an investor. My current approach, I've already touched on this a bit, but I'm diversifying away from student rentals a little bit. I'm still keeping uh, many of my properties, but I, I did sell one, probably sell one more. Um, I'm going to put some money to work elsewhere. I am looking in, uh, in Florida right now for some opportunities. I'm going to see, see what I find down here. Like I said, looking for markets that are made up largely of unimpacted unimpacted individuals and then also adding in basic housing to my portfolio more so. So just just things that I think can help hedge me against the unknown, what might be coming. And then of course I like buying commodities, gold, silver. There are also many, many other metals that, that would be very valuable to have. And then like uh like I said, I, I am looking at Florida. I consider that a hedge against government overreach and policy. So if you don't know what your government's doing, you don't necessarily agree. You can actually diversify into a different political climate to help diversify yourself in that way. Um, definitely something to consider. And I'm even open to considering the investor visa route, you know, being able to, to make my tax home not in Canada, you know, just depending on what our Canadian government does. If they, you know, if they all of a sudden introduce capital gains tax uh, on the full amount, um, you know, that may, and it may affect a lot of investors' decisions. So it's great to have options here and to just set yourself up to be able to react. So some resources, certainly my podcast, just search my name on any of the platforms. And I would recommend go right back to the beginning and just go right through. If you're a new investor, I've had so many people reach out to me and say, this made the difference. We bought our first property because of this. You've got guys like Sean that have come on. Corey's been on, you know, so many great guests have, uh, have been on here to share their story. And that's really what helps you to take action is, is hearing what worked for other people. So that's why I started that. Couple other things, uh, The Joe Rogan podcast, he had Peter Schiff on. uh, Great guy for talking about economics, currency, uh, gold, silver. Sorry if you hear the dog here. So episode 1508, there's another one on YouTube called uh, The Hidden Secrets of Money by Mike Maloney. I'd highly recommend that. First four episodes are, are just purely awesome. And there's another one if you want to just understand trad- traditional economics a little bit better. Uh, it's called How the Economic Machine Works by Ray Dalio. Also on YouTube. These are this is a little bit of a crash course and uh, get you up to speed on on some of the things that are going on right now and uh, some of the risks in our market based on our fiat currency and our government's uh, reaction to this crisis. So, with that being said going to open it up to questions. Okay. So guys, any questions, go ahead and write them in the Q and A. Okay. Anonymous attendee. What was your first investment? So my first investment was uh, a property in London. Like it was like $129,000, just like a single family, Um, not a house I would ever buy again. Um, Didn't structurally like it. It wasn't, it wasn't my ideal property, but uh, that's the whole thing about failing forward and just getting started. Sometimes you just got to start and it's not perfect, but that's, uh, that's sometimes just the way it, uh, it goes. So anyways, hope that was helpful. Okay, so Wilson, when investing in hard assets, are you planning on buying hard real gold or investing gold stocks? I think that there's a lot of people who would argue with me on this one, but I actually like the physical gold and silver, but, um, of course you can get stocks. The thing I worry about with stocks, um, is that theoretically a company could go bankrupt and your, your stock could become worthless. So it's not to say it's bad to have that, but just understand that there is a, there is a risk inherent with every investment. So for me, I like physical, but, uh, but yeah, that's also an option. And um, somebody just typed, where do you buy gold from? There's one uh, good place, silvergoldbull.ca. There's also uh, a lot of cities will have places. There's a place in Welland called uh, Coins Unlimited. Where do you see uh, house prices going uh, in Southwestern Ontario going? Okay, so house, house prices in Southwestern Ontario, I, I think there's a good chance they just go out of, of go out of reach for the average Canadian. I, I already see that happening we could end up in a market where the majority of people are renters. When I think about that, I like to think about where's the rat, the last stand. And I think the last stand is in smaller towns with good infrastructure that are outside of major urban areas. So it's the rock in the pond. Uh, I apologize for people who hear me say this a lot, uh, but you know, the ripples flutter out. So, um, you've seen it happen. Toronto was the rock dropped in the pond. You know, eventually the ripples made it to London. London took off. Things are absolutely insane in London. So I still see opportunities in Corey's market down in Sarnia. Um, I think Windsor is still, even though their you know, values just through the roof, going up through the roof, it's all relative. You know, what can you buy stuff for in these markets relative to, you know, the GTA? And, uh, you know, I see Ford Erie uh, going up. I see a lot of markets like that just uh, going through the roof um, down the road. Now, there is going to be a there is going to be a normalization. Like eventually, you know, in Hamilton, prices are just going to become too ridiculous uh, for the average person to afford. And then they just keep traveling further. So if you start to think of, about the psychology of the average person, um, it'll, it'll help you get ideas about where you think people will go next. I would encourage you to look for infrastructure, look for for cities that have long time been established, city sewers, sanitary, water mains all all in place already, and if you can buy at uh, at or under or close to the cost of replacement to rebuild those houses, I think naturally no matter what, just just because of affordability and this work from home movement, people are going to go to to new uh, to small towns that are further away than conventionally we would have thought. The most basic form of housing is usually not in so good areas in the current market. Um, Won't those areas be stressed more in bad times? Um, Yeah, I I think that that you're in for a rough ride. If you want to get into those houses, you have to learn how to manage in those areas. But I still do think that they're primed for the most growth because eventually when people used to buy the next class up, now they're coming into that neighborhood and they're going to make it better. And we've already seen that happening in in Hamilton, if that's what you're referring to. Aaron uh, Tacker, sorry if I mispronounced that what qualifies for basic housing multifamily with cheap market rents um, you know to answer that question like what 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 qualifies as cheap uh, housing i would say focus on there you can go to rentals. i think it's rentals.ca and you can actually see a breakdown of all the major cities in canada and what the rents are i would say look to some of those markets where rents are lower um, see if the see if the property values are lower too um, if if I know I got to spend two thousand dollars to rent in Toronto, but I might be able to rent for say twelve hundred dollars in Chatham, if my job is flexible or if I'm in service or if I'm in something that I could work from a remote location, I might actually consider that so there's no right or wrong answer to that, but uh, definitely look for compare it to the average uh, Canadian's uh, income, right? I think the average Canadian income is somewhere in like the $65,000 range f- uh, for a family. I could be totally off on that. What can that afford, right? Look look at markets that, that that can actually afford a place to live. And I think that those places have a future. So what's your opinion on Bitcoin and Ethereum? I'm not big on cryptocurrency. I see it as fiat currency. And a lot of people will hate me for that. So I apologize. I'm not your guy when it comes to, uh, to crypto. I think the technology is fantastic, but it, you know, I it it really in my mind would need to be backed by a hard asset or a commodity for me to to want to get involved with it. So okay, so do you have a construction background before you started your construction company? Um, I did not. I had I knew nothing about construction. I actually so I just ended up flipping a couple of properties, doing a couple of burrs, and then within a year I actually started my construction company. And uh, it was more of that falling, failing forward, and uh, learning what I didn't know, and and just taking action and. uh you know, that's, that's been my approach. And that was, that was my major success factor. Okay. So wouldn't basic housing markets be more likely to be subject to stress during difficult economic times? Therefore, wouldn't the medium priced assets and the units be more valuable in difficult economic times? So wouldn't more medium price? Um, It depends. So don't go off to some mining town that only has one industry. That would be ridiculous. That's not a, that's not a good plan. I'm talking about markets that are. Maybe potentially benefiting from the economic circumstances of their neighboring cities, so for instance, I talk about Wyerton, Ontario, a lot in my my uh, podcast. I like that area. I think you know that 's within a roughly a two hour drive to Toronto. I think a lot of people that, that work in Toronto could remotely live in in, in small town, typically not a lot going on, values are still quite low, but it's, it represents uh, an extreme level of affordability in an area that 's just starting to get hot and that 's the type of market that I like. I like fort Erie, Port Colburn because of their proximity to toronto they're you know they're within that two-hour drive it's still extremely affordable but i mean the cat's out of the bag you can see what's happening there Uh, i do i do expect that that rock to sort of flutter out that that ripple in the in the pond Um, so who knows where it ends what advice would you give to somebody who hasn't invested yet in terms of navigating their market which seems to have gone bananas i would say If you haven't already started investing, now is the, the time to pick your market fresh. See, you actually are at an advantage because a lot of people who are already established in one market, um, they're, they're too complacent. They've, they've already got their team set up. They don't want to look to a new market. So if you haven't started yet, now you get your pick. You can, you can look at Austin Ye. I know. Corey, you're, uh, you're Austin's coach and, and, you know, he gives you a lot of praise. Um, Austin decided that Windsor was the market, even though he lived in Toronto and after what, two years in it, Corey, he's, he's already quit his job. He retired his job. Uh, the guy just went absolutely bananas, just like the market. And he made it happen. Big cash flow, big numbers. Um, really, really impressive guy. So, so if you have a clean slate, um, that's an opportunity. It's just about how you look at it. Oh, he's gone to other markets now too. So that's great. Are you including Bitcoin in your mix of assets? Uh, I don't think it's bad to invest in some Bitcoin. I I just personally wouldn't do it. I think you could make money. I think a lot of people have made a lot of money. Um, It just doesn't meet my fundamentals. Do you think house, house prices will go down? I think house prices could go down in, a, in in certain areas and in certain pricings. So we've already seen house prices go down in Toronto in the downtown, not houses, but condos. Um, we could see that in others as well. Um, but uh, in the long run, no, I think everything's going up. It's just about weathering that storm. And yeah, we could definitely see a correction and it could take... You know, 20 years like it did in the 90s, it took 20 years for for properties to come back up. Uh inflation adjusted. So it is possible. It has happened in Canada. So we need to be in assets that we're comfortable holding for the long run, assets, the cash flow. Um, so I would say absolutely pick markets that have strong cash flow and a good diverse um economy, you know, not just one industry. You don't want to just have, you know, have a town that does nothing but mining, because if that mine shuts down, you're out of business. Randall. Okay. So what metrics, uh, did you use to decide which property to sell a return on equity underperforming? Um, what did, are you doing with the capital now? And can you loan it to me? (laughs) Uh, Randall, I, I, I took, um, Basically, I just kind of started what's furthest from the university. That was, that was, uh, it, it was actually a really great property. I hated to sell it, but I'm just kind of like working outward in. And I don't know that that was the right decision, but it is the decision I made. Normally, I would look at return on equity. Um, that's absolutely what I would do. However, I'm a little emotional about some of my properties and how good I think they are. So even if the ROE isn't quite as good, I, um, you know, I just don't want to give up. I don't want to part with them. And, um, you know, maybe that's not the right answer, but, uh, can I lend it to you? Maybe we'll see. But, uh, I am, uh, I am looking to put some money to work here, uh, as I said, down here in Florida. Okay. So when mentioning basic housing, what do you mean by this? Uh, I think I've gone over this a bit with my previous questions, but basic housing. So see the most basic level, one bed, one bath apartments, not fancy, not frilly, basically stuff that would be among the lower rent prices in your community. Doesn't have to be rock bottom, but you know, something that the middle and lower class can afford to rent. That's what I mean. Do you think investing in student rentals is a good idea? If you can get it at the right price, it's a good idea. I think that there's still plenty of opportunity in students. I just think that you don't want that to be your entire portfolio right now, knowing that if students don't come back in September, we could be in a pretty hairy position uh, where we maybe need to reposition our assets. So if you're going to buy student rentals now, make sure that your numbers will work to rent to families. So maybe looking at duplex student rentals, where you you can have an opportunity to get pretty good rents, even if you rent it to families. So I have always had an interest in investing in multifamily, single-family houses in the USA, Detroit, Buffalo, Rochester, Niagara Falls. Um, For instance, what would you recommend for the first-time international investor to be mindful of? Any tips or trips moving uh, forward? I was thinking about a possible burn in the USA. Don't do that without doing your homework. I've been burned in the US. I've lost a lot of money in the US. um, So this would be my second go around actually of doing this. Uh, I would recommend listening to the podcast at Canadian investing in the US. Um, Glenn Sutherland talks all about this. He does this all day long. Uh, Definitely find some people who do a lot of that and uh, latch on to the information they have. And then of course, take action when you feel you're ready and okay so you mentioned the cost of replacement please explain uh, when i'm talking about cost of replacement i'm talking about the number the insurance company uses the rebuild cost on your home now insurance companies usually inflate that but say i know i can build for 170 dollars or 160 dollars a square foot and i know the level of finish i can find for that if i can find houses that are selling and you know say they're 170 a square foot to buy but then i'm basically getting the lot for free I like that a lot. I feel like people are going to go to that market, especially if it's got a diverse economy. I feel like it's just a matter of time uh, before people go there just based on its affordability. Now, that's not a golden rule. That doesn't work every time, but it is a good starting point for a discussion, in my opinion. Thanks for speaking with us today. Uh, How quickly do you think Canada adopting universal basic income, uh, if it's implemented, do you settle in Florida? If Canada implements universal basic income, that's very bad for absolutely everybody. It's trickle up, trickle up poverty. It's socialism in disguise. Um, that would be absolutely not a good thing. Sorry if that's political. I I um, don't I don't censor myself. Well, I usually I usually say what I think. Uh, hopefully, people appreciate that. Some people don't, uh, but uh, it's not a good thing. And yes, I would absolutely um, absolutely be looking to get out of Canada if that happens. So I, I really hope we can come to our senses about that one. So uh, what made you venture into the construction industry? I never thought I would ever be here. I just got into this because that was where the money was. And I know that's a bad answer, but I was already doing this and I like creating things and and I never knew. I used to like building things out of Lego and here we are, but I'm not really great with my hands. I can do a couple of things. I got in. I'm a good problem solver. I'm a curious person. And I think that those things work really well. uh, And I love systems. I I love building good teams. And I think all those things just work really well in my business and, and allowed me to enjoy myself doing this. Um, Hey, Andrew. We should wrap it up, shouldn't we? (laughs) Yeah, and I'm loving all of the questions, guys. Like, this is fantastic. And this is the kind of interaction that makes this sort of thing so valuable. So thank you so much for being involved. Maybe, Andrew, I saw one question that I'd like maybe you to answer. So I saw someone, and I'm sorry, I didn't notice the name, but someone was asking about your thoughts on commercial properties Mm -hmm. and how they may. do you see that switching over to like, Changing use to residential or being used in different, unique ways. What are your thoughts? I love repurposing real estate. I think, I think, oh, I specifically love it when people get creative. In their solutions, so uh, I think that there's a huge opportunity to take commercial uh, mixed use space and and then add in uh, residential units. one of the trades that works for me he does that all the time in st thomas he'll he'll basically take something that has a storefront and you know he'll chop it up into many units and and just make astronomical cash flow uh, so i I definitely think that there's there's opportunity there a lot of retail stores are going to be hurt by this. So there's an opportunity to buy that stuff at low price because a lot of, and I mean, it's, it's tragic, but a lot of these businesses are going under. There's going to be a lot of new real estate up for sale in the commercial space. And these, these cities and municipalities are going to want something to be done with them. So uh, they don't want boarded up uh, stores. So I, I think what we're going to see naturally is we're probably going to see a lot of uh, retail space shrink. They'll still keep the storefront, but I suspect that municipalities are going to allow stores to convert more space into residential units on the back end. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. Please make sure to share this episode far and wide. Help it help more people. I really appreciate you tuning in. Thanks. I'll see you on the next one.